Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So practitioners and friends, good evening. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four establishments of mindfulness. So this is what we're up to this week. And this is uh, directly from the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, discourse that the Buddha gave 2,600 years ago to a group of practitioners, kind of like ourselves, but (laughs) in a different place and time. And the promise here is good, isn't it? It sounds good for surmounting of sorrow and lamentation and disappearance of pain and grief. The attainment of the true way. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what it is that we're doing here uh, to frame the Dharma practice that we're engaged in and to share with you some uh, reflections about being on retreat. So this Dharma practice that we're doing, the Dharma is a word that is translated some different ways. It refers to the the body of teaching of the Buddha, but it also refers to the truth or nature, the truth of the way things are. And one way to conceive of what we're doing here is that we're understanding Dharma We're learning about this truth. We're learning about nature. And this learning is happening on a different level than purely intellectual. It's happening on all different levels, you know, through the practice. We're using this different way of knowing through the practice of awareness, through mindfulness, to develop some alignment with the truth of the way things are. The extent to which we know and live in alignment with this, our life is more harmonious. We're happier, have more contentment and peace. We treat others with uh, more kindness. And we facilitate a better world. The extent to which we don't understand this and we live out of alignment with the Dharma is the extent to which we have friction and difficulty in our life. So dukkha is one word that's used for this, this dis-ease, unsatisfactoriness, pain, grief, all varieties of that. So the good news is that this dharma is here in every moment. The truth that we need to see is able to be revealed through anything. So sometimes we think like, oh, I'm going and there's going to be some big like beatific special experience 
through which uh, I will become liberated. And then the actuality of what we find when we come here is like some itches and heat and knee pain and wandering mind, fantasies, aversion, all this stuff. So the good news is these teachings are helping us to align with this. And in some ways, it's not this esoteric philosophy that we have to discover. It can be seen in some ways as as natural as moving the obstacles to uh, aligning ourselves with the truth. And I give you a a metaphor for this, uh, that there's something in nature, for example, that uh, we have understood and learned uh, as adults that we didn't know as children. So this is like the law of gravity, for example. So babies don't know about the law of gravity, and you see them sometimes like experimenting with this. So then they're in their high chair, and they maybe drop something off, you know, and see it fall. Then you learn something from that. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, what happens if you do it on this side? Right? So it's like same thing happens. Right? And then what happens if you're not looking? Right? So also falls. So after a while, you get the pattern, right? And you don't even actually have to understand how it works. You know, you don't have to know the mathematical equation for that. You don't have to figure out, is someone running that? Uh, You know, anything like that. You just understand, like, oh, if I want to place this glass of water somewhere, it's better to place it on a surface. If I try and place it in midair, it will break. There will be water everywhere, splashed around. There will be something that has to be cleaned up. So living in alignment with the law of gravity is something that uh, most of us have learned to do as adults. We don't think about it that much anymore. And in fact, if by accident something happens, like, you know, this gets pushed off like that, and it falls to the ground, uh, we understand why that happened, right? We've seen that pattern before. So we don't need to waste a lot of energy and friction uh, worrying about it. Like, why me? Why now? Why did this happen? (laughs) So we understand it's just the way things work. And then we can live in accordance with this. So similarly, there are aspects of the way things are, the way things work, uh, that we don't see clearly right now. And our our practice here is a great opportunity to see this more clearly and to develop this natural alignment that can happen so we can live in accordance with that, have less messes, spills, broken glass all over our life. Basically, the alleviation of dukkha. So I'll continue with this... uh, teaching that the Buddha gives here in the Satipatthana Sutta. So he talks about uh, the four establishments of mindfulness, and these are uh, the body, which we've already begun with, through the walking and through the way that we're practicing, the sitting practice. Uh, Also includes uh, feeling tone, which we'll get to. Uh, It includes mindfulness of the mind, and it includes mindfulness of uh, different patterns of dhammas. So paying attention and understanding these. So in the instruction, it's given to us. So a practitioner abides contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. So contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful putting away covetousness and grief for the world. And then there are different instructions in this section, uh, which includes the one that we're primarily using uh, as our anchor 
Mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in the practitioner to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And the practitioner abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how we abide contemplating the body as a body. And the instructions continue, and in the retreat we also uh, continue to practice in different postures. So when walking, a practitioner understands, I'm walking. When standing, they understand, I'm standing. When sitting, they understand, I am sitting. When lying down, they understand, I am lying down. Or they understand accordingly, however their body is disposed. So general awareness of the body and its movements. And then it continues on. A practitioner is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending their limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing their clothes and carrying their clothes and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. In this way, the practitioner abides, contemplating the body as the body, internally, externally, both internally and externally, and abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So you can see in this list that Basically, everything you're doing on retreat is fair game for awareness practice. So the time when you're eating, when you're getting dressed, when you're washing yourself. So even urinating and defecating, that really is in here. Uh, (laughs) Even though we don't put it on the schedule as a scheduled activity. (laughs) Whenever you're engaged in that, it's possible to actually bring awareness of the body. Bring awareness to this natural activity that's happening. So some of the the descriptor words are interesting to take up too. This contemplating body as a body with ardency. It's not a word that we often think of with meditation sometimes, ardency. Some of you have been on the uh, metta retreat, have actually spent a week or nine days in uh, intimacy with ardency in some ways. So it's this quality of of devotion, a quality of of warmth, of, of actually passionate interest. And it's possible to bring this to our practice, too. So we're practicing mindfulness, and uh, one of the aspects of mindfulness is developing a sense of sensory clarity, you could say. So knowing what's happening through the sense doors of our human experience. So I'll explain this a little bit more. Uh, the, the Buddha has uh, described that you know, what we call our human life is actually a rapid succession of six different sense experiences. So we have seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing. Five sense doors you're used to, senses. The sixth one is actually the mind. So the mind is considered in some ways a sense organ, you know, just the same way that the ear receives sounds, the eye receives sights when you're conscious. The mind receives thoughts. 
So part of what we're practicing here is developing some clear understanding of what's happening right now. You know, what's happening in each of these sense doors? What's happening right now if there's something in happening? Is it actually happening? Or is it a thought of something happening? So when we begin the practice with this establishment of there is a body, we're actually grounding ourselves in one of these sense arenas, you could say. We're grounding ourselves in the experience of the body. And for most of us as uh, humans these days, it seems that we tend to give a lot of attention and not have sense clarity about the field of thought. We don't know when we're thinking that we're thinking. We believe everything that comes through the mind. And we also invest a lot in the field of uh, vision. You know, we believe visual things a lot these days. So just for the sake of uh, relativity, uh, for example, other species have other sense doors that they're more focused on. So a family member of mine um, got a dog, uh, a beagle. And uh, he's very cute, big floppy ears and friendly and tail wagging and everything. Uh, but part of the, his beagleness included uh, being overly invested in the field of smell. So uh, yeah, I think that had some other kind of dog prior to this, like a shepherd dog. And the shepherd dog would hang out near the kids all the time, and it wasn't a problem. But this beagle, you go out with him, and uh, he would smell anything, and he would be off and running, you know, tracking this scent. And he just forgot about his family and home and everything. He's just, you know. And it's this kind of uh, animal there, uh, like scent hounds, you know, this is, this is like, they can track smells in the air, on the ground, even sometimes across running water, they can actually continue to track uh, smells. Right? So imagine sometimes, you know, if, if there was a, a field of beagles here in the hall, so, you know, kind of like with, with humans, we're sitting here and Kamala is saying that, you know, we have a screen, you don't know what the thoughts are that are emerging from us. Everyone looks very quiet, but different thoughts are coming. Uh, and we're all kind of getting zigzagged around by different thought trains. If it was a bunch of beagles, it would be smells, you know. You'd all be sitting here and like, suddenly someone would smell something, people would be like darting off in all directions, following smells, right? <laughs> Until they remembered like, all right, spirit rock, meditation, mindfulness, like come back, you know, and come back to their little seat, sit there, right? <laughs> Good dog, right, sit for a little while. Then another smell would come by, like, right. <laughs> so, you might be laughing because you recognize this actually already happening in the field of mind that's more compelling to you, <laughs> which is the field of thought. Right. So this is happening over and over again, and it's okay, you know, just in the way like, you know, with the beagles, like, it's okay, you know. Uh, the family did decide to fence the yard and get a leash and various things, you know. So uh, we're training ourselves, we're training ourselves in awareness to know what is happening, to gain this sensory clarity. Uh, what is the difference between an experience of the body, and a thought about the body? What is the difference between a sound that is being heard and a memory of a sound? There's a lot of freedom to be found in establishing this kind of awareness, this kind of presence. So mindfulness is uh, 
more of a state of being really than uh, activity, you could say. So mindfulness is something that we are, that we cultivate, that we abide in, and that we can rest in. The word is a, a, a feminine word in Pali, the language of the uh, Buddhist suttas. So it has to do with this awareness, certainly, and has many different uh, positive benefits for us. So it serves to balance other qualities of mind. So that includes balancing with a sense of calm, a sense of interest or investigation, a sense of collectedness, focus, concentration. This mindfulness can serve us to help guard the sense doors. So avoiding the proliferation of mind uh, that can come from some chain of otherwise unseen activities. One of the translations of this uh, word that is uh, sati, that's translated mindfulness, it means about remembering. So it's actually a remembering, both, as Pascal says, not hard to do, but we remember how to do it. We plant the seed so it can arise more often. There also is some force of remembering, like pulling together, developing a sense of integrity, of wholeness, through this presence. So mindfulness is here in service of liberation, in service of wisdom. We can learn to observe and know experience for what it is. It's coupled with another word, sampajanya, that means clear comprehension or clear knowing. So knowing what is happening, knowing what is being done. So the instructions today were uh, beautifully simple. It's to sit and observe, uh, there is a body. And rest with that. And I noticed today there were no questions. So uh, that's just either that the instructions were very clear or everyone was doing it perfectly and had nothing else happening but that experience. Of, uh, <laughs> but having been on a retreat and knowing the the human mind, as well or better than I know the beagle, beagle experience, uh, I can bet that some different things were happening for you. So I'm wondering uh, if anyone here felt some sleepiness today. Okay, yeah. I wonder if anyone felt restlessness, either of the body, the mind, it'll get me out of here-ness, yeah, okay, good. I wonder if anyone here had any experience of like wanting something else to be happening, sort of a leaning, a pleasant experience, wanting it, yeah. Even sometimes wanting something else that you didn't have here or food, yeah, okay. Observe, people in the front row, there's a lot of hands behind you, just so you know, right? Uh, not liking something that happened. Anyone have that experience today? Could be a physical pain, could be the temperature, could be anything, yep, yep. And then the clincher, does anyone have doubt about being here? Why did I come here? <laughs> this was a bad idea, <laughs> and all this stuff. Yes, okay. Cool, so we are right on time here with the human experience. 
These are the top five challenges to meditation that uh, were actually listed in the top five by the Buddha 2,600 years ago. So you're in very good company, not just here, but across time and across space. And it's very easy when any of these experiences come up to feel like something is wrong. You know, there are challenges to meditation, but they're not necessi- they don't necessarily have to be like problems. And partly I was trying to help you see that, like to normalize it. These are very normal experiences, energetic experiences in the mind, in the body that we uh, deal with. And in fact, part of what we're doing here in our practice is learning to work with these with mindfulness. So I I mentioned I live in San Francisco and um, in one part of the city, there's a uh, overpass of uh, 101. It comes... uh, off across Dubost Avenue and then spits you out on Octavia. And uh, the area under the highway, like in many places, uh, has for, for a long time been uh, like literally a shady area. You know, there's no sun there. And uh, the city, you know, try and figure out what to do with that. And I'm kind of interested in the life of the city and community development. So um, a couple of years ago, there was a great thing that was developed there, which is uh, this skate park. It's like a skateboard park, and they put some lights up, and then there are all these different obstacles there. Like there's a kind of U-shaped cement thing, and then there's a railing, and some squiggly thing. And uh, so now this place is actually very well used by all these young people who bring skateboards, and uh, the lights are on until late, so they can come and like have fun and learn how to go these obstacles. And I pass this way when I'm walking to my office or to my uh, Dharma group location. Uh, So sometimes I sit and watch and you can see people trying to gain uh, mastery over these different obstacles. And some people have them already down really well. You know, they skate and they even do little tricks. You know, they're riding the rail and then they like flip their board around and then they land and go. And then other ones are trying to do it and they keep wiping out. You know, they, they try to go and then they end up skidding on their knees and skateboard goes out and it seems not very like glamorous or impressive and um, some of them deal with it better you know just get up and go some of them you can see like feel embarrassed by it you know so you didn't know this but you come on retreat and then you get to enjoy the skate park of your mind (laughs) so all of these different uh, challenges to meditation you could say they're kind of like these you know energetic shapes that show up and our challenge, and it, it can be taken with some interest and even some fun, is to kind of learn how to skate this. You know, learn how to, to not get wiped out from this. Now, whatever it is that's coming up for you, sometimes we often wish for the other thing, something else. We're sleepy, we're like, I don't want this to be here. Pay attention if you ever have a thought, something like, my meditation would be good if only for this blank. <laughs> right. Sleepiness, knee pain person next to me, uh, whatever it is. So this is revealing uh, that this is actually your next uh, challenge in your skate park here. This is the thing that you're wiping out on. So good, okay, dust yourself off and be like, all right, come back. So with this attitude, we can actually be interested in these energies and interested in learning how to work with them. And learning how to see them as just part of the changing energies of life that's there uh, in our human existence. And seeing that these are actually not essentially me or mine, 
they're not ours, we do not own them, and neither do they own us in some way. So, for example, uh, you know, with sleepiness, some practical ones that we can uh, work with, you can open your eyes, actually, keep your gaze downward, but open your eyes to let light in. Also, you can stand up. It's completely legit to stand up in the meditation hall and practice standing meditation. It makes it slightly harder to fall asleep. (laughs) Seems not always impossible, but harder. Also with all of these, you can just get interested in this. You know, get interested in like, what is this like, this sleepiness, as it comes? You know, how does this present itself in the body and the mind? Does it show up all at once? Does it fall like a curtain? You know, from the top of the head down? Does it come outwards from the center? Is everything sleepy? Are the toes sleepy also? How do you know? So exploring this not by thinking about it, but by using this mindfulness, using awareness to observe, to know experience in this moment, you know, getting interested in that. So then with the restlessness, this energetic experience of the mind and of the body that seems really overwhelming sometimes So you might be sitting there like there is a body and it's like, you know. So one way you can try to work with this is actually expand out your sense of awareness. So rather than trying to clamp down or change it or push it away, can in some way relax open. So create a a wide field for this energetic experience to be there. So there is a body and this is what the body is like. So visually, uh, for a metaphor for you, this would be like, you know, if I'm holding up the bell striker and you can see this, if I ask you to look at this, you can see it. So that's focusing on it. And then if I say, you know, soften your gaze so you can see the entire scene up here. So then you can see the altar, you can see me, the other teachers. Now you can still see the striker, but it's part of a bigger scene, right? So like that similarly, if it feels like there's a rut of restlessness and you're trying to kind of clamp down on it, recognize, okay, this is restlessness. And then instead of trying to fight it, you know, open up. So make your awareness as big as this hall. There's a nice big ceiling here. And then let it be just like popcorn popping in some way. The thoughts, the body sensations. So also with the uh, aversion or uh, desire, uh, this development of sensory clarity is very helpful because oftentimes it's related to either an experience in the body or oftentimes an experience in the mind. So we have a thought of something that is not here or a thought of something that we uh, would like to be gone and then we start proliferating on that and then this energetic experience is there of aversion or of desire. So to start to notice what it feels like when that leaning starts to happen, one way or the other. When the leaning towards or away from experience is there. Notice the pain of that. 
Notice the difficulty, you know, the stress that's there. Develop some understanding about when there's something in the mind. Uh, what it is that is the image or the thought and what it is that is actually happening. So a common one, for example, is that there'll be a pain in the body, small pain in the body, maybe a big pain in the body. Right? And then the mind will start to think about this, like, oh, there's a, a knee pain. My knee hurts. I wonder if I'll be able to sit this retreat all the way through because my knee hurts so much. I wonder if I should move or not. I really shouldn't have come here. Doubt. If I don't move right now, it'll probably get really hurt a lot and then I'll have to start riding one of those scooters. And, but there's only two scooters, so I don't know how I'll get another scooter. You know, uh, I might have to get an operation from this. And, you know. So on and on, you can see. And then actually the physical sensation itself has already gone, but our mind has created so much suffering around this. So the, uh, my favorite story on this is a story like someone who has uh, gone to a cave and painted a picture of a tiger. And they go and look at the picture of the tiger and they go, ah, tiger, and they run out of the cave screaming. So where's the tiger? There is no tiger. You know, observe how much our mind makes up things and then we react to them. Being able to see clearly and see through this is a huge step towards the end of suffering. So as you uh, spend time here exploring the world of the mind and the body, it's actually not just unpleasant things that you find like these hindrances. There also can be beautiful mind states that arise. So also be tuned into that too. You know, there might be experiences that will surprise you in this way. It's also in uh, San Francisco, there's a botanical gardens. And this past week they had a, a exhibit, I guess you could say, or they had this interesting like installation there where they placed these um, pianos around in different locations hidden around the botanical gardens. And uh, they were actually available for anyone to play who wanted to go and play them. And they assign, like, you know, if people are waiting, only play for 15 minutes and uh, something like that. So I went here and you walk around the botanical gardens and you just hear this music coming from, you know, the, the rainforest area or the, the Costa Rican garden or something. And then go there and there's a little piano there. And then is there like a wide variety of people who are playing there. You know, some were incredibly talented, like they sound like professional pian- pianists. There's a bunch of little kids pounding on keys sometimes, you know. But this is this beautiful experience of walking around and then being surprised by music around some corner where you didn't expect it. So this too can happen in, in your mind, in your practice. If you stay open. So allow yourself to be awake to not just the difficult things, but actually the beautiful states that arise. So those of you who had been uh, practicing metta here, which is about uh, 20 people, when I was welcoming you on uh, the first night, I thought about also saying that I wanted to welcome you back from the field of love into the field of suffering, 
an impermanence, but <laughs> I thought it might not be as inspiring an entrance to uh, <laughs> this. But. but there's some way in which, you know, when we are doing vipassana practice, we're facing the changing nature of experiential life. We're facing ways in which we cling to things and it causes us suffering. So we're facing sometimes a lot of difficult things that we otherwise haven't been wanting to see. This quality of metta, this friendly attitude that you have been cultivating is an extremely helpful ally in this process of seeing, of growing, of alignment. So developing as much as we can this kind of friendliness towards ourself, friendliness towards what's happening, a sense of interest. And supporting also is something about a quality of uh, humility. So noticing when there's this tendency of mind, like I know what's gonna happen, which is the opposite of this quality of mindfulness and of love. (coughs) Noticing also when there's a sense of uh, rigidity. So a lot of the structure of the retreat is set up uh, for a certain kind of training that reveals the nature of things. The first among them is, of course, the structure of the whole thing. And I'd recommend to all of you, as much as possible, to practice surrender to this. So this includes surrender to the schedule. So for many people, it's like not common, you know, in your adult life that you're told what to do all the time, or, you know go sit, go walk, or this, that. So there might be some like railing against this that's happening internally. And I really recommend you just do yourself a favor and drop it. <laughs> because honestly, what we're doing is basically doing nothing in a variety of postures together and seeing what's here. You know? So the mind that argues, like, I want to do this when others are doing that, or I want to do something different, or I'm above this, I practiced much more than these people, or anything like that, Just don't believe any of that. Surrender to the schedule. Sit, walk, sit, walk, and that continuity will serve you really well. Also, just in case there's any holdouts uh, who have some uh, attachment to their technological devices that um, you may have underestimated, I also want to recommend that you do yourself a big favor and give it up. So what supports our development of awareness, and particularly seeing clearly what happens in the field of the mind and the body, is letting go of our habitual ways of being. So we're trying to practice relating to thought in a different way. So knowing that we are thinking as opposed to constantly engaging in and believing in the content of our thoughts. So to support this, we recommend that you let go of those things that continue to invest you further in the content of your thoughts. 
So that includes uh, checking your email, sending texts, reading texts, reading the news, even reading or writing things. You know, there's some way in which it builds a commentary about experience as opposed to just the clear seeing of experience. So it's not that there's anything wrong with any of these things. Right? They can be tools, but uh, give them a break. Give yourself a break. Simplify your life. Let it go. So you can turn it into the office, or uh, don't just leave it charging on your table. You know, Do not underestimate your lack of discipline and uh, <laughs> craving and delusion, my friends. <laughs> Do not. If for some reason you don't want to give it up, take the battery out and place the battery and the device in different suitcases under your bed. You know, like... Really, do yourself a favor. Give yourself the gift of freedom this week. Uh, Let the cell phone be in uh, meditation mode for the week and then you can reunite joyfully at the end of the time. (laughs) And if it means anything to you also, this uh, surrender to the Dharma, you know, surrender to the schedule, surrender these practices, this renunciation of your devices and reading, writing, all these complications the sense of taking refuge or surrendering to the Dharma. So in in doing this practice, even though some of the metaphors I've used have oriented towards kind of skills development or training, there's actually something much bigger happening here. You know, we're actually connecting to something much larger, something that is trustworthy, something that you can take refuge in. And you've already shown some faith in coming here and staying to the end of the first day uh, <laughs> and sitting here all during this talk. Uh, it's good. It's good. So just allow that to, to deepen. And you know, if it's meaningful to you in some way, even before each sitting, you can say that something, you know, taking refuge and and whatever it means to you in this moment you know taking refuge in the possibility of freedom uh, taking refuge in the truth of the way things are uh, taking refuge in the community of awakened beings whatever it is in your own words that might help you to then let go you know then just sit down and so somewhere in, in which now you know mindfulness has become popular and people talk about like my mindfulness practice. And sometimes that can be helpful, but there's also a way in which like my anything becomes like a possession and a stress and uh, uh, again, another form of becoming and being. So we're doing this together. You know, we're doing this, this thing together that's beautiful, that's radical, that benefits not just oneself, but everyone you'll meet for the rest of your life. And benefits the world in some, some beautiful way that's uh, beyond accounting. So allow yourself to take refuge if that's in any way meaningful for you. you know, let, let go, particularly when there's something difficult happening. But even for each practice period, just let it go. So it said that it's a, it's a very rare opportunity to meet the Dharma in one's life. 
And then it's rare also to have the capacity of, of mind and heart uh, to know this is something useful, this is something helpful. Then even with that, it's even rarer to have the opportunity to meet teachers who are qualified. And then to have the rare circumstances of your life to be able to go on retreat. You know, like to be able to be, live in a place that's uh, peaceful, to be able to have enough uh, well-being physically, mentally, uh, in terms of material uh, life. So we're all incredibly blessed to be here, you know, like, like beyond our knowing. I feel that myself. And as I mentioned in the beginning also, you know, this is like all-star Dharma team. You know, I'm, I'm so happy to be here with this uh, great bunch of teachers with such experience, this beautiful center in which we can be taken care of, the weather, the beautiful nature, you know, so many things in our favor. And it's not always going to be easy. So we can acknowledge that now. And I appreciate very much your courage for coming here and the courage it takes to see what's actually true in each moment, to face all of our wipeouts over and over again, and to become more intimate with suffering, with dukkha. So sometimes people ask me, you know, you've practiced for 25 years, for really for all of my adult life, and you know, what do you think you've, you've gotten? What's the benefit from this? How are you different? You know? it's, it's hard to say, uh, but one of the things that struck me the last time someone asked me this is I feel like I have a continually deepening capacity to be with suffering, my own and that of the world and not have to wriggle out from under it, and not have to wriggle away. So being able to face and know this first noble truth of dukkha, of this difficulty, strain, stress, suffering, as it presents itself in my own body-mind experience, as it presents itself through people I meet, and as it's there in the world, you know, societally, through all the different ways of suffering we have, So this is a very worthwhile thing, my friend, for us all to deepen in this capacity. For yourself, for others, and for our whole planet. So we have a great opportunity here. We have the direct path for the purification of beings, and now all we have to do is walk. So thank you for your attention. So we'll just sit together for a moment.
So connecting with our hearts. can appreciate our own goodness and interest in coming to practice. can appreciate the circumstances of our life that allow us to be here. can bring to mind with appreciation all those who are supporting us. those who are taking care of things back home, at work. Our friends, our pets, family, kids. We can connect with appreciation for our Dharma friends and teachers from the past. Appreciation for our guidance and opportunities. So we do, do our practice for liberation of our own heart and mind and for the benefit of all these beings. May we all align with the truth of the way things are. May we all deepen in our understanding of truth, of suffering, and of liberation. Time for some walking meditation. And you're all good dogs. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.